You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. We consider this morning the epistle lesson. Instructions from St. Paul from Galatians 3. If you haven't, dear saints, sat down to read through Galatians lately, then that's your homework this week. Just take one shot, six chapters. It'll take 21 minutes to listen to if you go to the Internet and have someone read it to you on the Bible app. A little less time to read, which is probably a lot less time than the sermon is going to be this morning, so just warning about that. It's great. I mean, St. Paul in this beautiful epistle, in the entire thing from beginning to end, is pushing the distinction between the laws of God and the promises of God. That is, the distinction between faith and works. In fact, in our own language, we say and we see that Paul is teaching the proper distinction between law and gospel. And this distinction he puts before the church and before us as of the highest importance. Our Lutheran confessions say this about the distinction between law and gospel. It it says this, And the distinction between the law and the gospel is an especially brilliant light, which serves to the end that God's word may be rightly divided, and the scriptures of the holy prophets and apostles may be properly explained and understood. We must guard it, this distinction, with special care in order that these two doctrines may not be mingled with one another or a law be made out of the gospel wherein the merit of Christ would be obscured and troubled consciences would be robbed of their comfort which they otherwise have in the holy gospel when it's preached genuinely and in its purity and by which they, that is troubled consciences, can support themselves in their most grievous trials against the terrors of the law. Hmm. Now that's wonderful. And I mean, especially this description of the distinction between law and gospel as a brilliant light. According to our Lutheran fathers, reading the Bible without the distinction between law and gospel is like trying to read the Bible in a dark room. You just can't see the words, it makes no sense. But then when this distinction between law and gospel is brought in, it's like someone turns on the light. And now you can see what the Bible says. Now this is the thing that Paul is teaching us in this letter that he sends to the saints of God in Galatia. He's thundering against the false teaching that would follow him everywhere and it would mingle and confuse law and gospel. Paul would, we read in the book of Acts and we have from the history of the early church, Paul would go and preach in a place and he'd establish a church there. He'd, he'd teach them the law and the gospel, the difference. He'd, he'd, the Holy Spirit would work through Paul to grant repentance and there would be a church and he would, he would put a pastor there, train up a man who would preach and administer the Lord's gifts and then Paul would go to the next place and do it again. And whenever Paul would leave, behind him there would come, almost in his shadow, there would come the false teachers. Mostly with St. Paul, it was the Judaizers. And they would say that it is not enough for the people to believe in Jesus. They also had to do good works to be saved. Baptism was not enough, they would say. They also need circumcision. 
Faith was not enough, they would say. They also need works. Now, Paul would always talk about works and how important they are. In in fact, especially the works of love that we have for our neighbor, like we heard in both the Old Testament and in the Gospel, that we would love our neighbor with all our heart, soul, mind, and or love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. But Paul fights zealously and contends earnestly that we must keep the law and our works out of justification. The teaching of justification omits no law, no works, no commands, no merit, only Christ and His work and His promises. And this is what this distinction between law and gospel is protecting. The reason that we distinguish law and gospel and uh, and make that uh, wall between them is so that the law can be kept out of the gospel. So that the gospel will remain pure, pure grace, pure gift, pure mercy. So Paul says, Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Justification, our being declared righteous by God, having the righteousness of Christ, His perfect obedience to the law, both in everything that He did and in everything that He suffered, is imputed to our name. And this happens not by works of the law, but rather, says St. Paul, by faith in the promise. Now, Paul, in his context, was arguing against the Judaizers, and so we ourselves wonder, well, what good is this for us? But it's important to remember this, dear saints, that the idea that works save us is stuck to our sinful flesh. It is the default theology of the old Adam. It is... We've had this picture before, like if you go to get a telephone or you go and get a new computer and you have the, the operating system that's loaded on. The idea that we are saved by works is the default operating system. It comes preloaded on your sinful flesh. We think, remember how it goes, we think that if God is mad at my sin, then he'll be happy with my good works. And Paul is fighting tooth and nail, fighting against this doctrine. And the Holy Spirit is using St. Paul to fight against that doctrine in our hearts this morning. So Paul says in Galatians 3, and this is the on-ramp to today's lesson, Galatians 3, chapter 11, or verse 11 and 12, now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith, but the law is not of faith, rather The one who does them shall live by them. That is the commandments. Paul puts on the one side the righteousness of faith that gives life together with the gospel and the promises of God here. And then he puts law and works and obedience on the other side and he builds a fence between the two to keep them separate from one another. And he's going to push on from this to give us an example a biblical example of how this works. And the example that he gives is Abraham and Moses. 
Now remember, God called Abraham out of the land of Ur, and he didn't, God didn't give Abraham anything but a promise. He promised Abraham a great land, a great people, and especially he promised him that his offspring, that it is his seed would be a blessing to the earth. This offspring, the, the seed, which reminds us of the first gospel given to Adam and Eve in the garden, the seed of Eve that would crush the head of the serpent, this seed is, is Christ Jesus, the one who would save the world and redeem humanity. God gives Abraham all of these things by promise, and Abraham trusts this promise. He trusts the promise of Jesus, and by this, tr- by this faith, he is declared righteous. So Paul says, and this is the first verses of our epistle lesson. In fact, if you want to follow along, you you can see it there in the bulletin. Paul says this, beginning with verse 15, to give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. So Abraham lived by faith in the promise of Jesus. Now, this is just a helpful reminder. A lot of times I get the question, in fact, you guys have asked me this question. You've heard it before, too. No doubt your friends have asked you. If we're saved by the death of Jesus on the cross, how were the people in the Old Testament saved who were lived before the death and resurrection of Jesus? And the answer is, from the text here, that they are saved just like we are saved, through faith in the promise. The people of the Old Testament had faith in the promise of Jesus who would come to die, and we are saved by faith in the promise that Christ has come to die. They were waiting for it. We look back to see it, but it is the same salvation brought about by the same faith in the same promise of Christ. Now, Abraham, that's how he lived. He had trust and faith that these things would come to pass, but he never saw them. Abraham wandered around his entire life, never uh, never had a piece of land. The only land he ever owned was the place that he bought to bury his wife. And, And even though God promised that he would have multitudes of children, he had only one son. But Abraham believed God, and the Lord counted this faith as righteousness. Now, Paul brings this to the the ears of the saints of God in Galatia, and then he does a little bit of math. It was, according to the calculation of St. Paul, 430 years after God gave the promise to Abraham that Moses was called and brought the people out of Egypt and came to Mount Sinai where the Lord gave to them the law and the Ten Commandments and the ordinances for worship, the instructions about how to order their life together. But the law, argues St. Paul, came later. And it does not invalidate the promise or annul the promise that came before. Here's how Paul makes the argument, starting with verse 17. This is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years afterward does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. For if the inheritance comes by the law, then it no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by a promise. You see? 
the promise stands. Even if commands are added later, even if a new covenant comes later, the promise stands. It cannot be overtaken or annulled. A promise cannot be undone. So Paul asks, if the promise stands, then why was the law given? The next verses. Why then the law? Asks Paul. I'm in verse 19. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now, an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. If the law can't save, then why did God give it? And Paul, an- Paul answers that the law was added because of sin to keep us unto Christ when He would come. The law's purpose is not to make us righteous. The law's purpose is to keep us, to guard us, in fact, to imprison us, and to bring us to Christ. The law, says St. Paul, was given for the sake of the promise, so that the law does not stand on its own. The law is only an instrument that God uses so that He might bring us to the righteousness which is in Christ. Now, I hope you're not lost in the woods that you're still with me because, and if you are lost in the woods, come back. Because Paul is about to get to the theological point where he's going to drive it all home. The purpose of the law, says Paul, is to lock us up so that Christ and the gospel can set us free. Verses 21 and 22. Is the law then contrary to the promise of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. There is no life or righteousness in the law, says Paul. For sinners, there is only death and bondage there. But apart from the law, the teaching and preaching of the law... We are nothing but dead, but we do not yet know it. We are slaves, but we don't know that we're slaves. So that the law exposes our death, exposes our sin, exposes our bondage, and lets us know that we need saving. The law is not to make us righteous and holy, but to show us that we are unrighteous and unholy. The Judaizers, remember, were using the law to prop up their own righteousness. And our Judaizing flesh does the same thing. But the law is meant to do the opposite. It's not meant to lift us up, but to cast us down. It's not meant to make us righteous, but to expose our unrighteousness. It's not meant to give us life, but to put us to death, to bring us to the end of ourselves so that we know that apart from Christ we have no hope. So that the law imprisons us but it puts us in prison so that Christ can break us out. The law buries us. It puts us in the grave, but it puts us there so that Jesus can call us forth to be resurrected by faith. If you want a picture, imagine a person gone mad from some disease, and now they're chained to the hospital bed. Their their feet and their hands are tied down to keep them from destroying themselves and and destroying everything around them. The law is like that. It's like the shackles that are holding you down. 
Or maybe even better with this picture, the law is like the hands that grab a hold of the head and open the mouth so that the medicine can be poured down the throat of this person who's suffering from this disease. So the law serves the gospel. Do you see it? And Paul concludes, and these are verses that come after the reading, verse 23. Before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we may be justified by faith. God be praised. Now, what this means for us is this. There is no law to save you. There is no work that can make you right with God. There is not a thing that you can do or say or think that will get you on God's good side. All of our works, all of your good works, are excluded from your justification. And with this, the Holy Spirit is teaching us to repent, to repent of our pride, to repent of all of our trust in ourselves, to repent of all of our looking for salvation in our efforts. Because, dear saints, you have a Savior, Jesus Christ, the promised seed of Abraham. And you do not need another one. And He does not need your help to save you. Jesus is good at His job. So good at being the Savior that He says it is finished. And when He says that, He's talking about you and your sin and your death. It's finished. He's talking about your salvation and your forgiveness. It's finished. Accomplished. Done. And He has done it. He's been through the wrath of God for you. He has been through death and the grave for you. He has crushed the head of the serpent for you. He has knocked the teeth out of, out of death, taken away the fear of judgment for you. And He sits at the Father's right hand and intercedes for you. And there's nothing to add to this, nothing you can possibly add. It is finished. And this means, as St. Paul would teach us, And as the Holy Spirit would comfort us, this means that we have the righteousness of God, perfection of Christ, not by our works, but simply by faith. By faith in the promise of the forgiveness of all of your sins. And this promise, dear saints, this promise is your life and your hope and your peace. In the name of Jesus. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416.
For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.